We'll be looking at Luke 24, starting in verse 33, but I will start in verse 32. We'll pray for the Spirit's guidance. Our Lord and our God, as we look at your book of life, I just pray that you give us a, a measure of maturity that we, that we didn't have when we walked through the doors here this morning. I pray that your, your power and your word becomes more and more real to us. And I pray that I represent you properly. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 24, starting in verse 32. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. And he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For the spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said these things, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. You may be seated. As I was Preparing for this message, Easter, I mean, these probably aren't the most traditional Easter verses. And it was hard to stray away from the traditional ones. So I was raised Catholic, you know, and I often wondered why at Easter and Christmas, it all seemed like the church services really meant something. And we'd have... They called it the Stations of the Cross. Every night during Holy Week, they'd have different things that occurred to Jesus as he walked, carrying the cross. But I often wondered why, why I remembered that. But it, it was a time in the Catholic faith, you didn't hear much or a lot of readings from the Scriptures. You'd hear maybe one sentence or a couple sentences. You wouldn't get the whole meaning and even in a paragraph, but during Christmas and Easter time, it was centered on the reading of the scriptures. And I realized it was the power of the scriptures. The power of that written word. And I don't believe I was a, a saved back then. The nuns surely didn't think I was. But uh, it's amazing, the power of the written word. Now, in the past, I know I, I've, I've spoken on Easter about wicked men who tried to disprove the resurrection, brilliant men who were funded by others to take 
yours out of their lives to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And happily for us, but sadly for the funders, many of those who went to disprove it came back believers. And the link is they had to study the scriptures if they wanted to study what the resurrection was all about. And it was the power of the scriptures that changed their hearts. So they were, getting, they were giving themselves a sermon every time they read the scriptures. And it's the power of the written word. And that's why I wanted to focus today on that written word and why Jesus hung around. Why he hung around for us. We will touch on his rising and that also, but it's the power of the written word and how God clarified it for us. We don't have to guess on these prophecies. It's not man's opinion. It's taught by Jesus. So I'm going to jump over to Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The tomb we came to He came to the tomb, but the tomb we come to here in this reading, you know, it's not characteristic of the man, Jesus, that we know. Remember, he he didn't have a place to lay his head. Now he's laying in a, a, a tomb made for a wealthy man, rich and the mighty, where no one else was ever placed. Again, when he walked Among us, he didn't have a place to lay his head. He relied on others' generosity for food, for lodging. They spent time sleeping in the woods, borrowed beds. He was a man of humility. Yet the tomb we see is splendid, beautiful. But it is a borrowed tomb as well. A noble tomb, but it is not his own. Because this was just a temporary resting place for our Lord. A short stay indeed. When he cried, it is finished. On the cross, his work for our sins was done. But he needed the tomb for a short time. And it was only fitting because his time of humility was over. That was finished. Now it was his time of glory. Now it was his time of glory. He would be the ruler and the king. He is the ruler and the king. Part of his assigned task from the Father, the covenant the triune God made, was completed. The time is humility and suffering. In a short time, in a tomb. But now he was the ruling king. And we know this when we come closer to the tomb, 
The stone is rolled away. There is no stench of death. The burial cloths are wrapped up and folded neatly. This was a planned exit. This was planned. Again, part of the covenant with the triune God. What did Jesus say? You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. All the prophecies bore witness about him. Part of the plan, no surprise. Not a lot of time in the tomb. A planned event, a planned exit. Planned by the Godhead. And Jesus performed his part. He did not back away. The angel said, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzled apparel, dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise. He's not here. The borrowed tomb is empty. He did borrow death for our sake. Hosea 13, 14. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Yes, indeed, he died that we might live. He who had no sin became sin. That's why the scriptures say, and we can say, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Borrowed tomb. He borrowed and kept our sins, separating our sins as far as the east is from the west. A borrowed death for our sake. That's what we see at this gravesite. The God of creation taking on his creation's guilt. so that we can live in peace with a holy God who we, even now, continually offend. Isaiah 53 makes it clear. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
That's why he borrowed death for us. That's why he was in the borrowed tomb, because of us. Wouldn't that be nice if every Christian started their morning by reading Isaiah 53, starting in verse 4, to give us a proper perspective of life. It was for us and for all true believers. We all participated in the death of our Lord. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's why this is a glorious day, but it's also a bittersweet day. We remember the price that Jesus Christ paid for our guilt, our sins. We must never, never forget that the Son of God voluntarily let himself be beaten, mocked, bruised, and hung on a cross over a garbage dump for you and I to give us the privilege to know that he died for our sins and paid our price. That's why he did it. To give us the privilege of knowing that it is finished. That our sins can be forgiven. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the sweet reflection of the day here. That we can say that and believe it and have the assurance. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For believers, we should have that assurance. We need that assurance. The Holy Spirit gives us that assurance that we know that our sins are forgiven. Not everybody who claims Jesus Christ has that assurance. It's clear in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's why we should examine ourselves. And I think a good time of the year to examine ourselves is at the resurrection day, remembrance. You know, the scriptures command us to test ourselves, examine ourselves, to make sure we're in the faith. It's important. The scriptures make it clear. It says those who does the Father's will, those who do the will of God, are in the faith. We worn out a love we worn out a love for lost people, for people we know who we don't see evidence of faith. We warn because we care. Because we want them to enjoy the forgiveness that we enjoy. We want to see them and be with them in eternity. 
And why do we go through the, tr- through the trouble, the bother of witnessing to other people? Because sometimes there's negative effects. Many times there are. The reason is clear in Ezekiel 33, 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. We're here today to vindicate God's holiness, his love for mankind. And that is why when we walk this earth, the scriptures warn us to be careful how we walk, not to be foolish, but to be wise. And wise means to be wise in the scriptures, walk as godly men and women. Because if we don't, we profane God's name by by declaring we're his people, yet we don't act like it. We represent God and his holiness. Tells us in 1 Peter, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. How do we declare the praises of him? We represent him properly here on the earth. That's why we're saved for God's glory. To bring glory to God. And how do we do that? You know, we pray every week for forgiveness because we know we're not perfect. So how do we bring glory to God? Ezekiel 33.25 tells us, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, or a heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the trees and the increases of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourself for your iniquities and your abominations. How do we bring glory to God? starts by repentance, and it starts by loathing 
You remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourself for your iniquities and your abominations. We will hate the sins of our past. We will hate the sins that we perform as believers. Repentance. Do your sins bother you? That's a sign that the Holy Spirit is working within you. That is why we recognize the sins before Him and confess our sins. It must be a submissive cry, a cry for grace, a cry that He has justified you and forgave you. And it will be a great comfort to us because when we have that struggle within us, that is part of the assurance of God. If we didn't have that struggle against the sins we committed, if we didn't loathe how evil we can be, that's the evidence of no faith. It's a good thing. When we loathe the temptation that comes into us, and we say, where did that come from? That's not sin, that's Satan. Loathing and fleeing go hand in hand. Again, it should bring great comfort, great comfort to us. But notice it's not by our own power. I'll read a little bit more of that Ezekiel passage. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Seems a little one-sided there, doesn't it? I, I, I. But it's God saying, I, I. He is the one who transforms us. He is the one that empowers us with the Holy Spirit. And we are capable of being that changed person for him only because of what he has done through us. And it brings him glory, even though it's his work working through us. A new creature in Christ. You know, we have to remember there is no cheap grace. When we submit to Jesus Christ, it's a lifelong commitment. And we're here today, our Lord rose. We are here Friday. The reason why he had to rise is because he was killed, beaten, and bruised for us. It wasn't cheap for what he paid. It won't be cheap for us living the Christian life. We must be that new creature and follow his laws and his precepts continually his commands, putting him first in our lives. And that's why I say we should examine ourselves. As we mature in faith, we should be continually examining ourselves. 
Am I living for God or for myself? And any time it crosses the line where we're straying from God and elevating ourselves, we are robbing God of his glory. And God says his name will not be blasphemed among the nations, among the people. The world should see a difference in you. Should see a difference in ourselves. We should be striving to bring glory to God. Glory to God. A life-changing event is never cheap. There is no cheap grace. There's only lifetime commitment with repentance and loathing of our sinfulness. What does it tell us in Luke 9.23? Take up your cross and follow Jesus. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's our daily walk. That's why Jesus hung around for 40 days after he rose. He wanted to instruct the church, the early church, to make sure they got it right. That it's our daily walk with God that makes a difference, that changes nations, that changes us. It's not just meeting here on Sunday and going out and forgetting about it the rest of the week. It's our daily walk, it's our profession, it's our craft. We're to be working unto the Lord. And you know, for us, we know it works. We know it works. It doesn't seem like it's working so good here in America right now, but it, has, it does work. We have 2,000 years of church history to study. You know, I was reading about Kelvin, John Kelvin, after he wrote the Institutes, he was passing through Geneva. He was heading somewhere in Germany. He was just, he wasn't going to stay. And the leader of the church heard he was in there. And that guy went to see him and Calvin said, no, I'm just going to go and do more writing, just kind of hide away as a monk, you know. And this guy said, told him, he says, no, you're staying here. You're going to have a church and you're going to make a difference in the world. Later, Kelvin would write, he says, he couldn't sleep that night. It was as if the hand of God and the voice of God was pestering him all night, and he stayed in Geneva. And he formed a church, and that church changed Geneva. It changed the nation. And how did it change it? It changed it because he preached the word of God to individuals, and they carried it out in their lives. 
the shop owners and the businessmen were working themselves to death because they couldn't take time off because if they put their business in the hands of one of their other employees who weren't the believer, their profits and goods were disappearing. But that changed when they saw the Christian workers. They didn't have to be watched. They worked as if they were working unto the Lord. They got elevated. The business owners could hand the business over to them and leave for weeks at a time, and they'd know that they'd be doing the shop owner's business. And that changed the nation. It changed the nation of America, like Alexa Tocqueville, he wrote, it's Christians, children, learning from their parents at the fireplace hearth how to be businessmen how to be honest workers, and that changed America. It's our individual covenant, our government, as individuals and families. That's how a nation's changed. There was no white horse that rode into Geneva, no new president that changed it. It was changed from the Word of God working through people like you and I who went out in their everyday businesses acting like Christians. Taking the world into submission, teaching the world how to do things better, God's way. And when you study history, science, many industries, it was Christian men who came up and changed the nations. They did it for the glory of God. That can happen here today in America as well. But it starts with us as individual covenanters. Jesus Christ was not a covenant breaker. And each and every one of us as believers become a covenant keeper. That's when we'll see this nation change. Men will always attack the word of God. Men will always attack the church. But the power in the word of God is far greater than any man on this earth. The kings will kiss the sun. Every knee will bow because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, spent time on earth here to educate the early church, and now is sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling. And the next time he comes, it'll be for judgment. But in the meantime, we're here to glorify God by our everyday actions. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, I just pray that we learn from the history of the past and from your book that you do keep your covenant when you tell us that the Holy Spirit is working within us and that you will change us and transfer us to a different creature, it is true. Give us that assurance. If anybody here has not yet bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, I pray that the Holy Spirit lies heavily on their hearts, that they submit to him. They submit to Jesus Christ. And that they see what a marvelous, wondrous, victorious plan he has for their lives.